You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Curtain up, theater people. Welcome to your program, Is Your Ticket. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. The program, Is Your Ticket, is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. My guest on tonight's show is writer-actor Barry Levy, who wrote and performs his upcoming one-man show, Hoaxacost, which will play 23 performances from September 5th through the 30th, 2018, at the Theater at the 14th Street Y. I love that theater. It's a great theater. Okay, here's a sensational teaser from the press materials for the show that had me very intrigued. Here we go. What roles should past horrors play in defining ourselves, our religious views, or even our politics? Is there such a thing as a contemporary Jewish identity independent of the Holocaust? Should there be? What if the Holocaust had never happened? Mahmoud Abbas has said it. Poland has said it. Some people currently running for our Congress and in our president's coalition have said it, that's for sure. The Holocaust didn't happen. What did? Such an interesting thesis, and I'm really, really excited to hear more. So let's bring him on. Hi, Barry Levy of Hoaxacost, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket. Hi, Sean. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here, especially following a, uh, a recent podcast with um, Sugar and Valley Little Theater, where I grew up and did a bunch of shows. I'm so glad you brought that up, because I was going to ask you about <laughs> that. Um, that's such a great theater. It's fantastic. Yeah, I had, I had a, a great time, and I was there for a, um, it was a fundraiser to improve the, uh, the, the already beautiful theater. I think mm-hmm. it was to redo their lobby, and Lots of great Broadway talent was there. And I noticed that we had friends connected on Facebook. Oh, that's funny. I love that. I love that you brought that up. That's Yeah, that's... I gave a, a good Artful Dodger there and a not-so-good uh, little, uh, what's the little kid, McAfee kid in uh, Bye Bye Birdie? Not my finest moment. <laughs> uh, puberty struck somewhere in the middle there. But, uh, but it was a great place to grow up. And super nice people. Yeah, yeah. super nice. Um, I saw that you're friends with Greta Rothman. Sure am. And I interviewed her, and she was delightful. She's the best. Out of all of the interviews that I did there, she was one of my favorites. She's one of the first sort of uh, cabaret acts I saw in New York after I moved here. She put together her own cabaret, and it was one of my first uh, my first nights out in New York going to see a friend do a cabaret, and she was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's kind of like, um, not to sound like Drew Barrymore, but who doesn't love something like Drew Barrymore? <laughs> it's kind of magical that that happens. Yeah. Well, New York creates great magical moments like that, and um, I, I, I think that's wonderful. Um, 
let's have you tell us a little bit more about yourself. <laughs> um, more? You can, you can talk about Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> well, I actually grew up in a nearby town called Beechwood, uh-huh. um, which you'll hear all about in the show. Um, it's a special little place. Um, it is known for its mall uh, and for uh, being 80% Jewish. And... Um, but, uh, yeah, Chagrin Valley was not far away and went to Chagrin Falls to do theater, um, went to Shaker Heights High School to study playwriting during high school. Um, and uh, it was a great place to grow up. Northeastern Ohio is fantastic. Um, what else? What else can I tell you about myself? I, uh, um, yeah, grew up in Ohio, um, came, came out east for school, and um, uh, moved to New York in 1999. have been here ever since, except for three years. I went out to the West Coast and uh, studied playwriting at UC San Diego. Other than that, I've been a New Yorker longer. I've lived in New York longer than I lived in Ohio at this point. So <laughs> um, if anyone out there wants to do some math, you'll figure out I'm 40. Uh, <laughs> you, you look... 29. Thank you I'm so just going to roll with it. Aren't I a great host? <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Um, I see here that you are a two-time O'Neill finalist. That's very, very cool. Uh, you have a Bachelor of Arts from Yale and an MFA from UC San Diego. So yeah. that's a really, that's a great pedigree. Thank you. I loved all those places. Um, UC San Diego is fantastic. Um, I mean, who doesn't love... 70 degrees and sunny every day, but also just the theater program is amazing. They give you a full production of an original play that you write all year, uh, each year for three years in a row, working with the best actors and designers and stage managers and directors. Um, just fantastic. Wow, that's great. And you're right, San Diego is beautiful. Amazing. Yeah, I, I live in Southern California myself. My sister lives in San Diego, so I was there all the time, and it's just... It's, it's lovely, um, just in general. Yeah. And you get to go to school there. Yeah. And, and you said that they, they give you... For three years, you wrote an, your own individual independent plays, and, and they the, produced them. Yeah, the school in association with the Loyola Playhouse does a full production every year. Oh wow! Of each of the playwrights' plays, yeah, sets, light, stage, the whole thing. I was on the I was on the uh, the studio theater at the Mandel Weiss, the Forum, the Forum Theater. There it was huge, huge space for my third year show. A little too big for my third year show, but um, it was an amazing experience. Really fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. And, and the great thing about it is that you're learning by doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can learn a lot of theory, and it's great to learn theory. You constantly, I think, learn that. But, but you really never know until you get in and you experience the stress of doing it and rewrites and things like that and stuff on the fly. So yeah. that's, that's terrific. Um, how and when did you come, up, come upon the idea of hoaxacost? How did that arise? Um, it was back in uh, 2004. Um, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was, uh, what, president of Iran at the time? Uh, not prime minister, president. Uh, uh, anyway, he was first sort of uh, making a big splash in American media for all of his Holocaust denial. Um, and I just remember, I mean, at the time, it was just like, what? People deny the Holocaust? Who on earth? Well, this craziness. And it seemed funny to me. And just instantly, I just had this idea, like, just like laughing to myself, reading his nonsense, like, oh. I, you know, I'm going to make a killing in theater. I'm going to make a comedy where everything that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad says is true. I'm just going to chase that to its conclusion and just say he's right. And like, what would that mean? It'll be hysterical. I'll make a gold mine. Um, I don't think I understood at the time how people make gold mines because <laughs> not so much of a gold mine idea. Right. Um, but it sure has been a fun journey, sort of um, following that thread ever since. Um, I was lucky enough at the time to be in a writing group at the Ars Nova Theater, um, where I got to sort of start playing with the idea um, in my first 
first inception, it was going to be sort of an Indiana Jones kind of Da Vinci Code kind of parody, like around the world crazy adventure. Um, looking up all of this, uh, you know, relics or I, I, I don't even know what the first idea was. It was bad, and uh, uh, and then around the same time, um, my friend Jeremy Goldcornenberg, who directs the show, um, was also doing a fellowship at the Prospect Theater Company, mm-hmm. part of, and so as part of their uh, Dark Knight series. At 5090-59, he was handed sort of the theater through Prospect Theater Company for a weekend to do whatever he wanted. Um, so he asked me if I wanted to do something. And I said, yeah, I want to do this um, Holocaust denial, around the world Indiana Jones adventure with a cast of thousands. And uh, he said, great, make it a one-man show, and you've got a deal. So Hoaxacost was born. I just sort of uh, chucked the Indiana Jones thing and started the one-man show thing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Wow. Now, now tell me... Since you have chucked the Indiana Jones, <laughs> gone, concept. chucked, chucked, gone. Okay, goneer than it was in Crystal Skull. I mean, it's it's gone. Yeah. For the record, I, as a writer, like most of my original ideas, I'm glad nobody ever sees them. <laughs> they evolve into something that really makes sense. Well, you have to put it in front of an audience and read yep. it out loud and all that. But tell us about what it's. So it's evolved to now this um, you challenging. Uh, uh, I, I always forget his name. I remember on The View, uh, Whoopi Goldberg called him, I'm a dinner jacket. Yeah, that's very close. Yes, and everybody laughed at yeah. that. Um, very close. We so, can call him that. Okay. I'm a dinner jacket. Right. I'm a, she, so you're challenging I'm a dinner jacket's yeah. um, uh, theories and his, his crazy, wacky uh, thoughts and beliefs on this, and, and you take that in a fictitious direction to see what that would actually be like. And that's that's the state of the show now, right? Yeah, I think one of the big changes... Uh, um, yeah, that is still the, the shape of the show. The way the ch- show has changed from that production to this is over the years... Uh, so originally an actor actually played the role of Barry Levy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that first um, Prospect Theater Company 1590-59 production, we had an actor doing it. Um, in subsequent productions, we had another actor doing it. And it's actually uh, in the last couple of years I started doing it myself. So that's one thing that's changed. But the general structure stayed the same where it's about um, a, a uh, an unreliable narrator named Barry Levy who um, sort of goes around the world interviewing Holocaust deniers and getting in deeper and deeper and deeper, um, sort of going from a local level. He starts with a professor in Chicago um, and then sort of gets sent on this round-the-world journey from Chicago to London to Paris and then it gets international, and then it gets real weird. Um, and uh, he just gets deeper and deeper into the uh, um, craziness of the Holocaust deniers. Um, and that has stayed the same. That is so cool. That's a great concept. I love that. Thanks. And um, what was it like? Were, were you your own dramaturg, or dramaturg, however you want to pronounce it? Were you your own dramaturg, or did you have somebody come in on um, a peripheral basis or an objective basis and, and, and challenge things in the script? or I've had yeah, a, a thousand informal dramaturgs. I mean, no, never a formal dramaturg for it, but everyone... This is my first time doing a one-man show, and I'm not... Um, I, I feel like I've had more 
paradoxical as this might sound, I've, I've been more solicitous of input and feedback and dramaturgy from everyone involved in the project with a one-man show um, than I have been even with some of my more traditional plays. Um, it's been a real learning process for me to even learn how to structure a one-man show, how to make that dramatic, how to t take it from a, a sort of very didactic, I researched all this stuff, and here's what Holocaust and I think plays to a real dynamic story with an arc. And um, I mean, I like challenging myself when I write to do some, a different form each time and a different style each time. This one was really out of the box for me. And so, um, yeah, from the writers group I was in at the beginning at Ars Novo, I would bring in pages and people would give me feedback to Jeremy as the, you know, Jeremy's really helped develop it with me from the beginning. Um, I remember going home uh, for either Hanukkah or Passover, I forget. Some, one of the Jewish holidays, I was back home uh, my parents home in Cleveland. Ohio. Home being, yeah, home okay. being uh, Beachwood. And uh, really struggling with the script and just calling Jeremy, just talking stuff through. Um, there's a the part in the script I really remember this was happening with. Um, there's a part where uh, Barry starts to, talking about myself in the third person is weird, but... Um, but talking about myself isn't, so. Uh, uh, he, uh, the narrator, Barry, um, starts getting seduced by some of the deniers' arguments about the numbers being fuzzy, the six million figure being a fuzzy figure, fuzzy math. Mm. Um, and uh, so I started um, to put words in this denier's mouth. I started doing some research and started doing fuzzy math of my own with the numbers to see like what, how evil this guy could sound. And it just became... I just remember sitting there at my parents' dining room table just being like, it is so easy to manipulate these numbers to say whatever you want them to say. Um, and I just started scaring myself. I started really freaking out about, like, what, I'm, I'm becoming a bad person. <laughs> I'm becoming a Holocaust denier. Why is it so easy to make it sound like this never happened? Mm -hmm. um, I remember calling Jeremy freaking out about that. Um, so he's on my hand a lot through the whole process. But um, everyone along the way, even people at the 14th Street Y now, um, even uh, Antonio, my um, press consultant, to talk talked me off the ledge with a couple things about the end of the play recently that I'm still sort of tinkering with a month out of opening. Um, you know, everyone um, has offered me a wealth of ideas that I'd be a fool not to sort of take in all their great feedback, so. Sure, well that seems um, such a, it's, it's big, it's a big idea. And I would think that there would be quite a few people who came and saw the show who would challenge certain things. I mean, the whole concept itself is, is, is a challenge mm -hmm. overall. But I think that there could be historians who come see the show who are like, you maybe didn't get that right, or that's that's exaggerated or something like that. Has that happened? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I actually really try to get the, his, the historical parts right. I hope not to get challenged. Well, this is a tricky question, Sean. Um, I, uh, <laughs> you asked the good ones. Um, everything that the, I have the deniers say in the show comes from their writings, their speeches, they're actually things they said. I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth. That's great. At the same time, the show does go to a more and more farcical place as it goes, along, goes on, so not everything in the show, not everything that happens in the show actually happened in real life. Um, so it's sort of a fine line to walk um, to say, like, I'm trying to be historically accurate, but at the same time, none of, none of it really happened. So I don't, I don't know how I rectify those two things. You have to come see the show to find out. But, um, yeah, people do get a little... Um, the show ends in a very farcical place that I hope um, the intent is for it to end in such a place that uh, what is and isn't real is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it ends in a scary place, not a very comfortable place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those two things happening at once does leave some people very unsettled. Um, so we, I have had people um, at the end of the very first performance at 1590's 59th Prospect Theater Company um, someone did stand up and start yelling lies, 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 and 
Um, really? You know, yeah. And um, oh someone else, th- these were all not paid for people, not even people I knew. Um, someone else in the audience who was a stranger to me started talking to her and saying, you know, but, um, but don't you see, you know, the X, Y, and Z just happened. Like, this must be fake. This can't have really happened. That, I don't want to spoil the ending, but, um, uh, you know, the, the, you can't really believe that all of these things that just had happened were real, right? You know, this was a satire. And the lady was upset, said, I know it wasn't real, but I think he, and she's pointing to the actor who's still bowing at the time, he's still on stage, I think he's so sick he thinks it's real. And uh, so, yeah, people have gotten a little turned around. Even uh, um, a journalist the last time I did the show uh, who was writing about the show waited for me afterwards just to say, you know, I just want to check, do you really think the Holocaust happened? I just want to make sure you know it really happened, right? And I was like, of course I know it happened. Why do you think I wrote this show to spread awareness about Holocaust denial and how dangerous and scary it is? But um, most people, I will say, um, most people recognize it ends in a pretty farcical place and um, the intent is to sort of expose and start a dialogue. Um, But I think because it ends in a very uncomfortable place where maybe people don't want their hero or their narrator to end, makes it really challenging. And while hearing something like that is awkward, it must be very satisfying as a writer deep down because you know that you've elicited the reaction that you want out of the audience. Yeah, I think the fact, if it was just the one lady screaming lies, lies, and everyone else started screaming lies, lies, I maybe would have been felt really uneasy, like, oh, God, did I, did I just, you know break the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm. Um, but the fact that someone else who's a complete stranger to me just started a dialogue with her and that they started a conversation about what they'd just seen, it actually felt fantastic because that's what you want. That's absolutely what you want theater to do. Sure. So that felt really great. That's great. Uh, it entertains, educates, and edifies the audience. I think if you're doing it right. Um, ha- tell me about the comedy in the show. Is it funny at times? Um, can it be fun? I mean, I, it is intentionally funny, and that's before we even get to my acting, Sean. It is, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, yes. There's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of humor. I try to find a lot of humor. Obviously, a lot of it's pretty dark humor. Um, some of it writes itself. I mean, some of what the deniers say is so cuckoo that you can just put it out there, and it's funny. But then again, some of it's. Um, terrifying. Um, so I think there's some moments of humor that come right out of the denier's mouth. There's moments of humor that come from Barry, the narrator's naivete a little bit. Um, he's in uh, an interesting relationship with his boyfriend when the play starts and an interesting relationship with his family. Um, so there's some humor there and those dynamics and those relationships. Um, uh, and uh, uh, tell, me, tell me a little bit about um, your favorite character other than Third person, Barry. Who's your favorite character to play in the show? A hundred percent. My favorite. My favorite character in the show. My favorite one to play is, is myself because that's easy. Um, right. But my favorite character in the show is not me. My favorite character in the show is actually uh, my boyfriend Anthony, uh-huh. um, who's a character that um, I sort of fight with. With Anthony is what springboards the whole journey. Um, he is uh, Dominican American, um, and he is a little sassy, and he is actually the voice of reason at the end of the play, which is also. Um, I think uh, takes some audiences by surprise um, that it's uh, the non-Jewish character um, in the play who actually um, speaks the most truth about um, the Holocaust at the end of the play. So um, he's a really fascinating character. He's difficult for me to play, um, but he is really fun, and I like sort of subverting audience expectations with him. He's very funny, which is always fun to play. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, he's definitely my favorite. He was also. Um, he was also Dr. Ruth's favorite. Dr. Ruth came to one of our shows, um, and during one of our talkbacks, um, no way, way, and she just oh came in off the street. She just saw the poster on the street, and she had her husband come in, or I don't know, it was her husband. She had someone come in and ask at the box office, um, you know, Dr. Ruth is outside. She's really intrigued. She just wants to make sure this isn't actually 
a Holocaust denial thing, is it? And we were like, the box. I was like, no, no, it's comedy. It's against Holocaust denial because she's a Holocaust survivor. And um, so she came in. She took their word for it, and she came in with her husband just off the street on the strength of the poster. Um, And then we had a talk back afterwards, and she was the first person to raise her hand, and I was freaking out. I was going to say, please tell me she stayed. Um, She stayed, and she's the first person to raise her hand, and they're like, any questions? Who wants to discuss Holocaust? And I'm freaking out because someone told me in the meantime she's a Holocaust survivor, and... um, she uh, so she asked the first question, and her first question is, um, I just want to know, do Barry and his boyfriend get back together again when the play's over? Because if not, they should come see me. Um, oh. So she really took it for, you know, in a way she took it as the relationship sort of comedy drama that, it, um, that the shape of the story is built around. So I really, I loved her for that. That was fantastic. That's a great story. Yeah. She's adorable. I remember uh, my husband David and I uh, flew from, I think he may have been back from Cleveland to New York. I don't know. But anyways, we were on a plane, and she got on the she got on the plane, and she's like tiny. She's the tiniest <laughs> little woman, but she has such a, an aura and a presence about her. And of course, I remember listening to her way back in the day on my AM radio oh. in my '72 Pinto. So that tells you a little bit about how <laughs> I am there. But 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 what a great story. Yeah. And um, it sounds like uh, the character of Anthony is almost like the audience. He's what the audience represents. Yeah, I think there's a big shift. I think the play starts um, and the audience is, is aligned with Barry, and by the end of the play, hopefully they're aligned with Anthony. And uh, I think that's part of what makes the play interesting and unique and uh, uh, a worthwhile but also challenging journey for the audience. I think there's a little bit of a bait and switch there that's fun for me as a writer, but um, part of what makes it a, a unique journey. Sure, yeah, switch yeah. it up a little bit, go against the grain a little bit, and, and surprise the audience. That's always very cool. Now, I see here that you did the show in NYC Fringe in 2014 mm-hmm. and won an overall excellence award for the show. That's awesome. It felt great. Um, that I was uh, terrifying. Uh, that was, again, I was still working with an actor at that point when we got into the Fringe, um, a fantastic actor named Adam Green, who was also very important in the development of the piece. Um, and he... Um, uh, he and his wife got pregnant um, right around when we were uh, starting to gear up for the fringe and had to bow and he bowed out and I remember thinking well, do I cancel? I mean, I'm just going to back out of the fringe he's the only actor who does it and um, for some unknown reason I just decided to go ahead and do it and perform it myself I hadn't acted since high school um, but I figured if there's one role I can do it, it better be myself so uh, I stayed in the fringe and acted it myself and it was really gratifying and rewarding for it to be received so well because I was scared I'll, I'll say shitless I was scared shitless Sean but it went it we have an extensive rating as I said before so you can say shitless I figured shitless. I should take advantage of it at least right. once during the course of this podcast thank you thank you for, for checking that box I love that um, yeah it's uh, fringe is not only would that be scary but um, my husband and I did a play called At The Flash that um won some awards and we did it at Fringe in 2015 or 16 the year before they took a year off and um, it's it's a very hectic schedule so you're performing the show for the first time learning it memorizing it even though you wrote it you still had to memorize it because he co-wrote our show and he still had to memorize it because he performs it and on top of that you get like one hour to go in and tech. you get two hours to tech your show one hour to run through it or with all of your cues and then another hour to time it with your stage manager. Mm-hmm. What was the pressure of that like? 
Well, it's one of the reasons I do my show with a stool. That's my set. <laughs> I don't know what you guys did, but uh, yeah. uh, I learned to think small in the fringe um, and, uh, and have quick turnarounds. Um, what was yours like? What was your setup and breakdown and all that? Well, it was just a stool, and, and he was playing five different characters in five different decades in the same gay bar. It was all, it was all fictitious. And um, he did have a stool, and we've been doing it for so long, we now, I now have to write a new decade into it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and Fringe is tough because I always tell everyone the goal in Fringe is to surface, because there's 200 shows. So if you can surface with your ticket sales and awards and your, your publicity and that, um, then, then you've, done, you've done it. There's about 20 shows, 30 shows, I think, in Fringe that surface. Mm-hmm. Sounds like yours is one of them. I had excellent PR from Campfire PR that helped a lot in that regard. Um, but also, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was lucky to be in a, a smaller theater space, so it was easier to sell out 30 seats than it was. We transferred afterwards to Baruch as part of the Best of the Fringe. I forget what they called it that year. It wasn't Best of the Fringe anymore. Fringe Encore series. Yeah, Fringe Core. Fr- fringe Core. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was a bigger challenge to go from selling out 30 seats to filling 200. Um, sure. But... Um, no, but it was, uh, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better fringe. It went great from the publicity to, um, uh, to the sellouts to the award. It was all very gratifying. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a great experience. It's an honor. And um, it, it sounds like it, it went really, really well. And yeah, Campfire's great. Mm-hmm. Campfire's awesome. They're, they're great publicists. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, I, love, I love Antonio and Katie. Antonio and Katie are the best. Yes, they're the best. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, uh, as the person who was the actor, in the, the eventual actor, and then the now actor in the show, what was the biggest challenge, technically, in being the actor in your own show that you wrote? Um, gosh, um, technically, like technically in the acting, like the, the hardest thing about acting, or like the hardest thing about juggling. I'll tell you, the first thing that comes to mind is actually a, uh, the hardest thing about acting again. Um, it's actually something I never knew about acting before <laughs> um, when we were at Baruch um, and we had a 200 seat theater, and the day that there were 17 people showed up. Mm-hmm. This was over the high holidays on September 11th, which of course is happening to me again at the 14th Street Y, but um, uh, we'll have bigger crowds at the 14th Street Y. But uh, I, uh, yeah, I forget if it was Rosh Hashanah or Young People or September 11th. It was one of those three dates and uh, at Baruch and 17 people came. And I just remember it, it, it was just so hard to find the energy to do the whole show right. and to act like it was full and to act like they were also very quiet, 17 people. Um, it, was, it was a very somber day. Maybe it was number 11. Um, and uh, I was just getting nothing back. Yeah. And it was so hard to find that strength as a performer because I'm, tr- you know, I'm not trained as a performer. I haven't gone through this for years and years. I, wasn't, I haven't had a bunch of performances like that and built up a toolkit of how do you do that. No one had prepared me for what to do when you just feel like you just want to crawl off the stage and go back into bed and just tell all those people to go you know, F themselves. Yeah. Um, and just to find that uh, was really the hardest thing. Um, 
I mean, I'm sure other people would say there's, <laughs> there's many other areas of my performing I should focus on in addition to that. But for me, like living it in the moment, that was just a really tough thing that I didn't appreciate that actors have to do when they're not getting the energy back from the audience. How do you manufacture it yourself? Right. Um, that, that was the hardest acting technical challenge for me. Now, to be fair, I have not focused much on my dialect work, so that would be that's my next challenge. But um, no, for me, that, that was the biggest. Wow. Now, was there, uh, uh, did you have to overcome the, the connection that you had as the writer of the piece with being the performer? Because I remember when my husband mm. was performing our play, he said he really had to sort of step back from it, especially when he started working with our director, David Zapp. Um, it's because the director then sort of mints their own impression onto the show. Mm-hmm. And so you have to kind of, he had to kind of forget everything. It kind of reminded me of when, um, this is my second waitress reference for today, but I love that show. When Sarah <laughs> Barella stepped into the, to the part that she wrote pretty much, um, she said that one of her biggest issues was that she had to not get ahead of herself by knowing exactly what was going to occur. Mm. And by the way, she was phenomenal in that. Um, did, did you have any of those problems? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh, one of the, the things that Jeremy, is, as we rehearse, keeps impressing upon me is to you know make sure that I'm in the moment and not sort of projecting the ending and not knowing right. where we're going. Um, so I think that is hard, not, you know, probably hard for anyone, um, but especially if you're the writer and you've, you know, you know backwards and forwards but also I think um, yeah and there's also times where you know I think something makes total sense because I wrote it and he has to kind of make me see that like textually it doesn't make the most sense and um, uh, you know last night we got into uh, a discussion about even just the word well in one of the lines and I, he kept saying I don't understand you don't need that well why do you keep saying that well and I was like oh but the well is so important and eventually he was like okay well you've got two choices you can cut it or you can act it because the well's doing nothing right now <laughs> so then I tried really hard to act the well um, and I think we might end up cutting it he's probably right um uh, but I do find that I am actually um, a much kinder playwright to my actor now that I am the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, when I had an actor in it, I would rewrite like crazy, and it would be like a performance day, and I'd be like, we're making changes. And I know he's an actor. He can roll with it. He can memorize the lines in two seconds. And now that I'm the one who has to re-memorize the lines, there's no more changes. Script is frozen. It's done. Yeah, like, yeah. like yeah. probably about your second tech in, you're like, no, I can't take any more. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's at least what, what uh, my David tells me. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Jeremy Gold Cronenberg. I know he's your director, and um, it sounds like he lets you find things on your own, like the word well. Like the word well. So that's really cool. Um, but I saw that he has a he's very, very heavily resumed out of Ohio. Did you meet in Ohio? We sure did. We met um, even before middle school, I think late grade school. Um, and uh, yeah, we've known each other for a very long time, which makes me very comfortable working with him as I, you know, dabble back in acting. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and he's been instrumental in helping develop the show from the very beginning. So um, he is really very talented. He comes from musical theater. Um, he studied musical theater at Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, um, Sarah Lawrence. Um, and we have a love of musicals um, that, you know, we, we were in several of them together. Um, we have a legendary Merrily We Roll Along from high school. Oh, and uh, I really what, love that show, by the way. Well, it made me love the movie. It was that Lady Bird that they do merrily. Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah um, great brought back time. a lot of memories. Um, and Jeremy was also infamous for knitting on um, the school bus on the way to and from school and um, field trips. He would knit vests. He had a vest obsession in high school. 
Um, any picture of Jeremy from high school? He's wearing a vest that he made himself. That's my husband will love that because he gets <laughs> all the time. We have like um, we have like a, a, a tree as you walk in, and it just looks like a giant Christmas tree made out of yarn. It's very very. It's the scarves and hats and all of that. So you probably have a lot of that as well from Jeremy. Yes, yes. Everyone has a vest from Jeremy right. somewhere in the back of their closet. <laughs> oh well, well he's he is uh, himself very very well resumed. Um, he, it says here that he did the first New York revival of Carolina Chain. He sure did. That was an amazing production. And um, it was nominated for the New York Innovative Theater Award as uh, Outstanding Production. Mm-hmm. Um, a BFA in acting from Ohio University School of Theater and an MFA in directing with a the musical theater focus from the University of Cincinnati. And a list as long as your arm of credits. Yeah. Um, I feel very lucky to work with him as just for his talent as a director, and then on top of that, it's it's gravy that I feel so comfortable with him from sort of a lifelong French lifelong friendship. Um, you reminded me when you were mentioning his um, BA from uh, Ohio University that uh, I visited him when he was uh, in college there, and we got a bat in the house while I was visiting. And you have never seen two men run screaming around a house <laughs> like you did when there was a bat in Jeremy's house in college. Wow. Hmm. I wish that, like, YouTube was around that. <laughs> yes, thank God it wasn't. Right. And cell phones, <laughs> are you can record and such these guys screaming around. Yeah. Hey, I'd be right there with you. <laughs> for, for absolute... Uh, we would have needed you to get the bat out of the house, oh, Sean. That's no, what you would have needed no, to be there for. Are you kidding me? It'd be like the cartoon where the woman climbs up on the chair in her high heels and she's... <laughs> with the baseball. No, no. That's... That's... No. Um... Do you want to talk about any of the other people on your production team? Um, do you sure. Have, uh, we, any other designers you'd like to yeah, mention? Yeah, we have a fantastic lighting designer named Kia Rogers, who is a partner with Flux Ensemble. Cool. Um, we're working with a production assistant who's actually a recent uh, directing grad from Columbia MFA program named Kim Kerfoot. Um, and, of course, through the Y, we're working with uh, you know one of the best technical directors around, um, Chrissy Wright, who's amazing. Um, she's the resident technical director for um, the, the theater at the 14th Street Y. And then, yeah, and then there's all our collaborators at the, you know, co-producing with us is the theater at the 14th Street Y. And everyone there, Renit and David, um, Rebecca, London, Lauren, I mean, everyone there is just amazing to work with. So it's really a giant team of collaborators to put together one little show with a guy in a stool. Oh, yeah. It's, that's the, the, the interesting thing about theater is that people don't realize that behind the guy in the stool is just an army of highly, highly talented people doing so much heavy lifting back there. And uh, I remember I've worked with a stage manager who said, if you can't see me, I've done my job. That's and, right. And um, Which kind of makes me feel bad because I feel like they should all be coming out and bowing as well. I think <laughs> that, that's just me. I'm kind of a big old donkey girl scout that way. Um, well, before we go, can you please tell our listeners your social media information, including information about the show and um, um, social media information, as well as all the upcoming uh, production information for Hoaxacost? Sure. Um, so Hoaxacost tags are real easy. It's Hoaxacost um, uh, at Facebook and Hoaxacost at um, Twitter. That's H-O-A-X-O. C-A-U-S-T um, you know I think it's in good company on Facebook right now with a lot of Holocaust denial uh, pages just kidding it's not a Holocaust denial page no one's going to track you f- well I can't promise what Zuckerberg's going to do but um, I promise if you go to Hoax Cost on Facebook or Twitter it is uh, it goes to a satire and it goes to it, it, we're actually posting a lot of um, 
really uh, interesting articles tracking all of the white nationalists running for Congress right now. Um, so uh, we're being a little activist and uh, fighting the good fight. But um, yeah, please join us on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and we're also sending out like coupon um, ticket discount codes via Twitter and Facebook. So um, it's really good to follow us for more information. That's very cool. Anything, any information or social media about yourself that you'd like to talk about? Or are you a, a low-key presence on social media? Uh, I... I th- I think I should probably be a bigger presence on social media, um, but no, I'm a pretty low-key presence, but I'm on there. I'm Barry Levy, pretty easy, B-A-R-R-Y-L-E-V-E-Y. I got in early. I'm, I'm there on uh, Facebook and Twitter, just just my name. You can find me. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, is What's next for you after this? This is going to run for a little while. We're running, um, you know, um, 20-something performances, and um, we, we may try to, if there's any interest from schools, line up some additional matinees, so we may get close to 30. So this is going to keep me busy for a little while. Um, and after this, we will see. I'm about to actually, uh, once a year, some friends and I um, go to a little writing retreat upstate and sort of clear our brains of everything old and start something new. So I'm actually doing that next week, so we'll see what new thing pops out of this hoax cost weary head. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I wish you many figurative broken legs on this. <laughs> I don't have an understudy, Sean. Don't, don't wish me right. that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was feeling it's, it's still hard to say when, you know, my, my people I'm interviewing are like, next week you're going to be going up in a, in a play. But it sounds uh, challenging and, and funny. Funny, yes. It's definitely funny. And educational and dramatic at times. Um, I'm, I, I think it's, it sounds terrific. And everyone go see it. It's just just amazing. Um, well, you've been a delight. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. You've, this has been a total fun for me. Well, good. Yeah. good. I'm glad you. I'm glad you have. Um, it's it's been incredible talking to you. And um, so, thank you for being with us, writer, actor Barry Levy of Hoaxacost. Thanks, Sean. Oh, my pleasure. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung. The bows have been taken, so it's time to lo- lower the curtain. Uh, you can find more episodes of your program as your ticket at Facebook.com. Your program as your ticket. I'm on Twitter at at Program Ticket. The website is yourprogramisyourticket.com. A quick thanks to North Coast NYC, the hip-hop improv theater ensemble that does my intro and outro music. You might be hearing it right now. You heard it in the beginning. If you're not hearing it now, you'll hear it in just a few seconds. Your Program Is Your Ticket is on iTunes and SoundCloud. Rate me, write me a review, and review. Subscribe. Please do all that. It helps with my profile, and I appreciate it. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people, and Kirk. Your program is your ticket. Your program is your ticket. Your program is your ticket. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.